a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. times well we've changed a few things the stream is now available in a couple more areas than it was before if you're on facebook we are now streaming to the actual facebook sip and study page we're on twitch we're on youtube yeah we're we're all over the place and you see this nice little new graphic on here if you're on the the video version hit those hit the like leave a comment you'd be absolutely amazed what that does for the analytics it helps share it out just wanted to up the level of the podcast of the show of the study of the whatever you want to call it just a little bit why because you're worth it because you're worth it let's dig into this we are in the 30th lesson that is right this is 30 lessons in to the gospel according to john this is a new commandment this is the last half of Chapter 13, this is verses 21 to 38. There's a bit going on. It's really a continuation from what we were looking at last week. We're still in the representation, John's representation of the Last Supper. So there's still a bit to go, and I'm sure you're going to be happy as to <laughs> that I decided to split this section instead of giving a 38-verse section on the Last Supper. Because even the edited podcast version of last week was something like 45 minutes long. There was no need to continue to push this one out kind of like that. <laughs> so I'm sure this one's going to be a hot minute as well. But that's because there's a lot of information and it's good to see. So let's, let's dig into this, shall we? John chapter 13, verses 21 to 38 in the English Standard Version. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. All right, breaks down into three basic areas. First, we get 21 to 30. One will betray, Jesus announcing that again, one will betray. Then we get 31 to 35 with the new commandment. And 36 to 38, the rooster will not crow. Okay, so verse 21, this is the continuation 
of John's narrative and the John's example or showing of the Last Supper. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus tells them that the scripture will be fulfilled, that who ate my bread lifts his heel against me. And now he's bothered by the reality of it and says it plainly. Verse 21 says, after saying these things, because that's what happened, right? Jesus had said all of these things. He had gone over this. He had done all of this. And he said, after saying all of that, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Again, remember, anytime we see truly, truly in scripture, it's it's a sign of authority, right? If you see that double, double down on that, truly, truly, when Jesus says that, it is a sign of authority. And that is something teachers just didn't do. You had to have authority given to you. And Jesus, if he was just a regular rabbi, would not have said authority to do that. All he gets the authority from is from the scriptures. But Jesus, being the Messiah in Hebrew or Christ in Greek, same thing, but being God in the flesh, being the one, being I am in the flesh has the authority. And so he actually spoke directly with authority. He says, truly, truly, I have authority. I'm telling you plainly. I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. This troubled in Greek is terasso. And, and this is of uncertain affinity. It's to be troubled. It's taking away of calmness in yourself and your mind to be stirred up. This word is actually in the gospel, according to John, six times. One time as being stirring of the pool. This is the trouble or the stirred up that was in Greek that was talking about the pool. When the pool was stirred by the angel, right? Jesus healed the, the lame man at the pool. Okay, that's this. This is the word there. This is that same word, stirred up, bothered, changed, altered, right? But it's also in here three times in this gospel as Jesus being troubled, and two times as don't be troubled. Like Jesus telling them, don't be bothered by this. Don't be troubled by this, okay? This is not the same troubled in the spirit, right? We see troubled in the spirit, and earlier we saw this, and it was that grumbling. Jesus was grumbling and angry, right? Was, ugh, annoyed at the Pharisees. This is not the same. This is not the same word. It's not even the same meaning. This is not to grumble. This is, he is troubled. He is his calmness of mind, right? He was bothered by the situation. Like he was becoming overwhelmed with the reality of the time is now, the time is at hand. Now, one of you will betray me. This again shows that this is a continuation of the last supper. John is just linking the narratives together again, because John is pretty much the last of last of them written. So he's linking the narratives together for, so people can work them together and see that this is the same thing. Mark chapter 14 is a great example. Let's look at Mark 14, 17 on says, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it's the one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Pretty harsh words, but I mean, it's, I mean, reality, right? That's <laughs> reality. All right, 22 to 26. Let's look at this. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Saw the same thing just in Mark, right? One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Now, when we see whom Jesus loved, that is a reference. It's, it is a longstanding church tradition. It is an old church tradition. And, it, and it's just pretty much widely accepted that when we see John write about the disciple that Jesus loved, it is John being ever so humble and just not saying his own name. <laughs> it's, it's John, okay? John is the reference of whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved is is John. That That is a reference to himself. So one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, John, was reclining at the table or at, at the table at Jesus's side. Now, remember when, when we talked about the feast earlier, when they were with Lazarus, right? 
Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they were reclining at the table. And that was an indication of the feast, right? Because it was a certain long table that was really short, really low to the ground. You can always go back in the lessons. They're all available online, sipandstudy.com. You can find everything in there. But during this other lesson, we saw that indication and talked more about that, that really short table and the way they would lean up against the table and just kind of lean up and they would almost be touching one another, right? So it wouldn't be uncommon. In fact, I think the, it's the King James Version, and even the New King James, I think, says it as well, is resting his head on Jesus' bosom. They were so close and so tight on this and so reclined in there that he was actually leaning up and could actually lean back and just say it. Hey, Jesus, who? So Simon Peter motioned to him. Hey, hey ask away. <laughs> Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. This is why we say Judas Iscariot, because Judas was Simon Iscariot's son. So again, the disciples were unsure who it could be. Because they, they're like a family. It's tight-knit. It's a really odd bunch. It is a motley crew, right? These guys, they don't make sense. They just don't. There's there's an entrepreneur. There's a tax collector. There's a zealot. There's <laughs> You start going down the line. So you have someone who's a trained combatant waiting for the military messiah to come. Like trained to be a, a battle ready to like do things to bring the messiah about and to fight for and with the messiah. Like, it is, it is a really interesting crew. In fact, if you have not watched The Chosen, I would probably encourage you maybe this. I don't encourage a lot of, being in media myself, I don't encourage a lot of, of Christian media, uh, uh, video and, and things like that, because it's has a tendency to be incredibly cheesy. And I'm sorry, I think if we're going to do something that it, that we're going to put on a national or international scale, it should be at the same quality, at least as the, the secular media. And Christian stuff has a tendency not to be there. There are some good options and some good things out there, but it's it it just has a tendency to to fall flat. I'll just be honest; it has a tendency to fall flat. You're not alone if you think that. I also think that I might be partial, but the chosen actually does a really really good job. The writing is really good. The acting is surprisingly good. Cinematography, everything, the way they have put it together, it loses so much of that Christian narrative uh, cheesiness to where it just, it feels very natural. But it does a fantastic at a job at representing how weird of a crew Jesus put together. The, the types of people that Jesus brought into this was very, very, very interesting. And they did a fantastic job or have done so far a fantastic job of showing that. So it is a really weird group of people, and they all have formed this really tight bond, like a family bond, because they're disciples. They're following, they're brothers, following Jesus, the Messiah, to learn from him, to grow so that they can go and teach. So they just can't believe him. They're looking at one another in disbelief. What What do you mean one of us is going to betray you? One of, one of us is going to betray you? That doesn't, even, that doesn't even make sense. Why would someone do that? So Peter, being Peter, and just encourages, well... I could say it, but John, you're closer. Like, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Now, if we actually read this carefully, there's some subtle nuances. There are some very subtle nuances. 24, Simon Peter motioned to John to ask Jesus. John is reclining and leaning right up against Jesus. This is actually like a quiet response. This most likely was not something that Jesus said openly and loudly to the entire group. This is a little bit of information that Jesus said that was most likely quiet and the people who were right around him. Now, granted, it's mainly his disciples, and so you'd think that they're all kind of right around him. But there's commotion. People are trying to figure out who is he talking about. This has been one of the most strange nights and, and we've been following Jesus. Like, this is just, it's getting really weird. This appears to be something that Jesus kind of quietly says to John and is overheard by a couple other people, and then John tells the rest of them later. But Jesus seems to almost whisper and have that side conversation that it's he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. 
He's quiet about it. And then here you go. That's why we, we say things like the one whom Jesus loved, John, seems to have some extra insight on things because it seems like he was closer. Maybe not uh, uh, relationally, maybe so. Maybe there was a tighter connection between Jesus and John, but he often has insights and has things that, knowledge of things that happened that others didn't because he maybe followed a little closer. All right, 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, this is Judas, right? After Judas had taken the morsel of bread, Satan entered him and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Okay, there's there's a lot into this. This one small verse. So after, so Jesus, Jesus handed Judas the bread. Judas took the bread and he ate it. One, literally fulfilling the scriptures. Literally fulfilling the scriptures that we talked about last week. One who eats, the, eats my bread, lifts his heel against me, right? And he left. Two, this is also signifying that there was a direct time and place when this happened. Now, the what happened is not that Judas ate bread. No, it is the Satan entering. Now, if you remember earlier on into this, we saw earlier on in verse two, verse two of chapter 13, John clarifies and says that Satan, the, or the, excuse me, not Satan, not saying the name Satan, but the devil had already put this on the heart of Judas Iscariot. But now he's saying, after he took the bread and he fulfilled the scriptures, Satan entered him. Satan had taken full control. Which raises up several questions. Was he demonically possessed? What was going on? Like, did, did Satan himself actually take control over Simon Iscariot? Did he have no choice? You know, is this a sign of a lack of free will? Or is this a representation? Like, what's going on? So we, we take a look. How do we find some of this out? Well, first off, let's, let's look at the language. Let's look at the actual language of the day, okay? In Greek, because this is in Greek, okay? The, we, we, the Bible is three languages. We have Hebrew and Aramaic, and then the New Testament, so that's the Old Testament. The New Testament is primarily Greek. There are some phrases and some things pulling from Hebrew and Aramaic, so you see some spattering of that, but it is primarily Greek. Okay, so this is in Greek, which is in ancient Greek, which is different than the Greek that you would have today. So we, we have to go through some stuff. All right, but anyway, make this as clean and simple as I can. <laughs> clean and simple. The phrasing here in Greek is different than the Himon Idzam Ahi, which would be what we would say, what, what they would use for like demon possessed. That is what, when people were, were claiming when Pharisees and whatnot were asking if Jesus was demon possessed, that is the Greek that we see for it, demon possessed people, right? So if there is a demon inside and they are exhibiting what we would consider and even what they considered a, a traditional demonic possession. Now, keep in mind, there is a difference between possession and oppression. Possession, oppression. There are two different things here. And when we look at this, one, Jesus definitely didn't embody what would be a traditionally accepted possession type of thing, which would be feats of anger, crazy amounts of, of strength that normally wouldn't be there, self-mutilation. People would be just ripping at themselves and hurting themselves because either A, they're trying to get the demon out or the demon's just trying to hurt them and cause and inflict as much pain and damage as they can. You get voices, like they would speak in a voice that isn't their own. They would also potentially speak in a different language, calling themselves different names. I mean, there, there's all sorts of things that we typically associate with a full-on embodied demonic possession. That is this Greek term, the hemon adzahim. That's what we see in the other four gospels, well, in all four gospels, excuse me, for full-on demon-possessed. That is not what we see here. In fact, John writes this in a very specific way. He writes this as a phrasing. And I didn't, I'm not giving the full Greek on, on the actual phrasing. I just want you to know, demon possessed is one word. 
This is not that word. This is a phrasing to make it say this. And this is the only time, I believe it's the only time, I might have, I might, I might have to correct myself and admonish myself a little bit on that, but I believe this is the only time that John uses Satan, the actual name, here in the gospel. It's at least the first time, but it, I, I think it is the only time that John uses that here in the actual gospel itself. But the direct phrasing is, Satan entered into him. Now, we see this exact same action in Luke. If we look at Luke chapter 22, verse 3, we see, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve, which just means he was one of the disciples. He's one of the twelve disciples, right? Judas, Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. It's the same, same time. It's the same part of the story, right? The same part of the narrative. So it, again, this brings up questions because it's not the same word as demon possessed. So they're not saying that a, a demon, but they are directly coming out and saying Satan. In fact, we're seeing two, two gospel accounts directly coming out and saying Satan. Was this an actual possession? But because it, they're, they're, they're saying that it was directly Satan and not just a demon, one of his demons, was it a, a possession? Was this a strong attachment or a heavy influence to something that we would be calling more of like an oppression to where it was so heavy that Satan was influencing and oppressing and outwardly controlling to some degree? Is it just simply metaphorical? Just a way to say, hey, you know, well, yeah, he gave he gave in to the power of the air, right? He gave in to the enemy and and he just wanted the money that bad. We we guess. I don't know. Was it metaphorical? Was it fear for his own life? Because at this point, he'd already heard. Like he'd already said, Oh, you're gonna pay me for this? I mean, all right. All right. So was it for money? And so it was a fear because since he's getting paid, did did they threaten him? Hey, we'll give you this money. But if you back out, if you betray us, right? Like, we don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. It's also not in the scriptures. So we're going to have to infer a little thing, you know, infer a little bit to know on that or to, to guess and to get a better idea. Or was this really just their way of reconciling that a dear friend, someone that they had known for a while, that they had done walks with, that they had done meals with, that they had learned under Jesus with, that was this just their way of reconciling that, this person betrayed. Like, how else could they have done it? We knew him. This couldn't have been from him. We walked with him. We ate with him. We talked with him. We laughed. We cried. We witnessed miracles with this guy. And what? And now he's betraying? Like, he's betraying God in the flesh. Who knows? Who knows? Now, then he turns around and Jesus says, do it quickly. Do it quickly. What? you are going to do, do quickly. It's basically in, in modern language, we, we would probably just say, hurry up and do it. Hurry up and get this over with. Which if we look at later, and especially in Matthew, he does a great job of showing this. Matthew 27, verse three, there's just three to five, but Matthew 27, Judas really regrets this, which again, could, could work in, in any of these. We don't know. We don't know. Was it a full-on possession? Did Satan physically take control of him? I, I can't imagine because Jesus was right there and Jesus was casting out demons, fought off Satan himself during the temptation in the wilderness. Like, I don't think it was a full-on possession because if it was, again, we, we don't see characteristics. We don't see the speaking in different languages, the uh, different voices that were not there, fits of rage, all of it. We just don't see that. We see greed. We see greed and selfishness. We see a lot of these other things. So was it maybe just an influence? Was it just their way of, hey, I, I don't know how else to say this, but like he bought into the lies of the evil one and did something absolutely terrible. And I think that's more likely of what this is because of what we see in Matthew 27. Then Judas his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. Now this was, they were getting ready to take him to, to Pontius, right? They were getting ready to take him to Pontius Pilate and he was going to lose his life, right? So he's 
sees that he's being condemned, and he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is this to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. He was so ashamed that he went and hung himself. Which if you continue on in that, then the elders and the, the chief priests there were, what are, what are we going to do with this money? We can't, we can't put it into the, we, we can't put it into the regular pot because um, this was blood money. That's not okay. It's a pretty disgusting thing, but if you take a look at that, write that one down. Matthew 27, you can see starting at verse 3, it goes on, but it, it is a pretty disgusting thing. But it gives us a better indication of the mindset of Judas, right? The mindset of Judas, he sold him out. I need the money or something. Who knows? Maybe there was a family debt. Maybe there was any number of things, but he did something and he later regretted it. Hey, sip and studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. Which to me tells me that this is not most likely a an actual possession. It's also not going to be something that is like a full-on massive oppression to where this is demonically controlled and happening. He just gave in to the flesh and gave in to gave in to sinful desire. And they wrote it as a metaphorical sense that Satan entered him. I don't think now I could be wrong, right? This is the gospel account says Satan entered him. I think this is metaphorical. I think this is a, a way for them to cope with and grasp the evil that he did. I don't think that Satan actually physically entered him. 28 to 30. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Okay, so Jesus just said, what you are going to do, do quickly. But no one there knew what was going on and why he said that. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, so wait a minute, let's put two together. <laughs> Judas liked to take money from the money bag. He had stolen from the money bag. Did he think that maybe he could replenish the money from the money bag? Because Jesus might get arrested, which by the way, was really common for teachers who went outside the lines, colored outside the lines a little bit. Like, look at John the baptizer. He was arrested a lot. That was normal for him. That was a normal thing for these guys. So was Judas just like, hey, I can get a little extra cash on the side. This is a normal situation. Jesus is just like, he's just like all of these other weirdos out here, you know, hey, he can, he can take, take that. And that's fine. I'll get a little money. Or was it I need to put the money back in that bag and that would make it to where that could happen. I could do it secretly. No one's going to know, blah, 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 blah. Well, we'll be good. We'll be good, right? I don't know. I think, I, Drew, I think that's probably pretty likely. He was either trying to just get a little extra cash because he, had, he, he was afraid that if he took much more out of the money bag, it would be really obvious. Or he was trying to replenish the money bag because he had taken a little bit too much. But that adds into the narrative here, right? So some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Mm, all right. Or that he should give something to the poor. Okay. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And then there's this really interesting clarifying point. 
and it was night. And it was night. So in their, in their understanding and the way that they handled days, day happens, day is sun up to sundown. As soon as the sun goes down, it's the next day. It's nighttime. It's, it's considered the next day. And so when they would go into the Sabbath, right? Shabbat. Friday, it's Saturday, right? Jews practice that on Saturday. If you look at your calendar, it starts on Sunday. Sunday is actually day one. The ending of the seven days is Saturday. So the actual traditional Sabbath is Saturday. Well, sun goes down, and as soon as the sun goes down and the sun is out of the picture and it's dark, on Friday night, you're now into the Sabbath. That's how they practice this. So when he's saying it was night, he's saying this day is done and we're into the next day. This is a clarifying mark for saying that it's the beginning of the next day. But it's also normally read into, and I think rightly so, it makes sense. The way that John writes the narrative, the way these things happen, it, it makes sense that this is also an indication of the spiritual darkness of what was going on in Judas's, Judas's heart and everything else. Like the situation, like the sun has set. It is now dark. The light of the world is here and darkness is now trying to swallow it up, trying to swallow Jesus, swallow him up. Both Matthew and Mark show that the supper was in the evening. Is the Supper just means the main meal of the day. It could actually happen in the middle of the day. But both Matthew and Mark say that this was in the evening. Let's take a look at Luke. Luke 22, 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs. So this is after this, right? This is after this, okay? Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple? You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Okay, so this is when Jesus is getting arrested, right? This is when Luke's writing about when Jesus is getting arrested at that point. And he's saying, look, you guys were with me in the temple. I was teaching in the temple. You guys didn't even lay a hand on me. They picked up stones to stone him. They did some other stuff, but they didn't arrest him. They didn't get this stuff done, right? Nothing ever actually happened. And now they're coming out in the power of darkness, okay? New commandment, 31, 31 to 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Just to clarify that so that it reads a little cleaner, a little easier to understand. God is glorified in him, Jesus. If God is glorified in Jesus, God will also glorify Jesus in himself, in God. And glorify him, Jesus, at once, right? Just to try to clarify that up, it's this narrative between Jesus, Messiah, God in the flesh, right? The, the son versus father, because Jesus always left the father as higher, right? Jesus always accounted the father was higher than the son. The son needed to give account and, and glory and everything up to the father, right? He says the father gives the glory and everything back to the son, but the son actually gives it up to the father, Okay, now this echoes Isaiah 49. Take a look at 49.3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So this is just an echoing of that, right? An echoing of that. Glorify him at once. Now this is a reference of at the cross. This, as soon as that happens, it's glorified on the cross at once. That glory happens, right? 33 to 35, little children, stop right there. If you were not around and did not do the uh, uh, first John, the study on first John with us, I would suggest that you go back and watch that one, listen to that one, do do it however it is that you do it, or or dig into first John. Little children is not a demeaning statement. Like here in English, we might hear that. Like, oh, little children. Like, you know, it's it can just seem like a, like you're belittling, like you're belittling, you're demeaning, you're looking down on. That is not what this is an indication of. This is actually a, a statement of love and affection. Jesus is, is showing different culture, guys, right? Different culture, different time, different language, and we're translating it into stuff. Like this, this was a really strong sign of affection, right? Like you guys are learning from me. I love you guys, okay? 
You're looking up to your teacher, and, and this is just a nice, loving, embracing statement. And this is actually something that John grabs hold of and uses more than once <laughs> in, in 1 John. And so this is something that he actually says multiple times in, in 1 John. So that's something that you can go and, and look at. So, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that right there is not the new commandment. I want to pause before we continue. Love is not the new commandment. So often, people want to bury this down and, and just boil it and just, okay, here it is. The new commandment is love. Like that's the commandment, love. That is not the commandment. That is not the commandment. Moses taught to love God with everything. But he also taught, Moses also taught that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at the second half specifically of Leviticus 19, verse 18, the second half, 1918b, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the full part of 18, because you know me, I really like things to be in context because you can, you can cut and splice and do some really fine surgery on stuff and make it, make the Bible say basically whatever you want. So transparency, all of 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Why? Because they were fighting each other. Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, Jesus did take it and stretch that out and say, your neighbor is not just people who are like you. Your neighbor is not just other Jews. He came to save, and salvation comes from the Jews, meaning through the Jews to the world, to the Gentiles, to everyone else, right? Those who believe and accept Jesus, salvation comes, and it came through the Jews. That was God's plan. That was God's design, that it would come through his chosen people. These were the chosen people to save the world. Jesus came through them. That you love one another, colon. Now, mind you, punctuations were not in the original Greek. We didn't have this. This is added. So if you look at it in other translations, the punctuations are going to be a little different. That's okay. I'm just wanting to point out, I really like how the ESV does this because it clarifies this. A new commandment I give to you, comma, that you love one another, colon, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Hold up. Let this sink in for just a second. This is at the Last Supper. They were just eating a big feast, a big meal. Jesus takes out his outer garments, like takes off his jacket, right? Jacket robe, but he still has some unders on. Wraps a towel around his waist. Drops to the floor in the position of a servant. Washes their feet showing service and love and affection after eating with them, drinking with them, going and teaching them, forgiving them, showing them, having grace and mercy on them when they had no clue what was going on, right? Doing all of these things. And the way this is written, it's actually a continuation onward too. This isn't just as, as I have loved you in the past. This is learn from my example and my whole life and my whole time with you, that is how you are to love and to love one another. This continues on. This continues on to his sacrifice on the cross. And when he comes back, when he resurrects and he comes back and he shows, doubting Thomas, I know, it's okay. Here's my hand. It's a hole. Put, you can feel this. Here's my side where the spear went, Right? It's okay. That is the level of love. Not just that you are to love. Yeah, hi, I love you. I'm going to ignore you now. I mean, we all have people like that in our life, right? Where we're like, ah, you bother me. But it's, we still love them. 
We still love that. And that command is to continue to love and to love to the degree that Jesus loved. 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one and other. For one another. Jesus's love was a sacrificial love. Okay, this love is sacrificial. It's not just, what can I get out of you? It's not just, you know, yeah, I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is a sacrificial love. And that is the degree in which we are supposed to love one another is to the full on sacrifice, not necessarily just, hey, we need to martyr ourselves. I don't think that's necessarily necessary. I don't think that's the degree that we need to take it. I mean, if it calls, if we get to that point, we, we, we don't deny Jesus, right? We love Jesus. We're here for him. But we, we love everyone around us and we're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to give till it hurts and sometimes even beyond the hurt simply because we know God's going to continue to provide for us and maybe they need it worse than we do. Okay, let's get on. 36 to 38, the rooster will not crow. And this is Peter. Peter being Peter being Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Let's do uh, 36 and 37. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Hmm. So Peter kind of acts like the Pharisees in believing that Jesus is saying something like, I'm just going to depart. I'm going to go away for a little bit. Don't worry. I'll, 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 you, just, you can't follow me where I'm going. Well, where is he going? But then Peter tries to really show he's earnest about this. Like, how often do we do that? How often does, do we try to show God, no, God, I really mean it. I'll go, I'll go and do anything you want me to do. Oh, I mean, except that. It's got to be the way I want to do it, though, God, right? My terms, my terms. That's not the way it works. And Peter, we can actually see some other things in this. And especially when we go further on into this, we, we see some extra stuff with Peter. And Jesus, being God, already knows this. He, he foresees what's happening. He knows what's happening in his heart. He knows what he's expecting. Peter is expecting and had been expecting, much like the rest of Judaism, had been expecting a military leader. They were expecting Jesus to come. He was prepared to fight for Jesus. He was prepared to die for Jesus in battle. Notice that distinction. Peter was prepared to die for Jesus in battle. Even today, we see a lot of honor. They are a hero. And I'm, I'm being sincere in that, right? If, if there is a war, there's a time for peace, there's a time for war, right? That, that scripture is not irrelevant. And in war, where things are happening, there's massive injustices happening. And unfortunately, war might be the only answer. As, as painful and as much as we don't like to see it, in the human context, sometimes things happen. And sometimes that's just the way we know how to deal with it. If someone dies in war, they're a hero. And I mean that sincerely. They are. But we don't always say the same thing with somebody who just voluntarily just, all right, I'll just die. Well, you, you believe in this one person. Yeah, I'm a follower of this one person. Off with their head. Wait, what? Like, does that have the same weight? Right? In society, and in most societies, that does not have the same weight. That is not seen in the same context to simply just die because of. Now, if we were defending somebody, right? Like, we, we look around in society today, there's keep seeing school shootings. We keep seeing all of these other situations. If somebody stands up trying to protect people, that's a hero. That's a hero. That death is a hero's death. But in our society, and even then in that society, someone who just died just because of a, you know, to say, hey, I believe and I'm a follower of, that was not seen as heroic. Peter was looking and saying, I am willing to die a hero's death for you. I am willing to go and fight and lay down my life fighting for you. And Jesus kind of calls him out on it. Let's, let's take a look 
here, if we go a little bit further ahead, let's take a look at chapter 18. Chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is also upon the arrest. This is just later. This is chapter 18. We're in 13. This is chapter 18. Peter cuts off the ear, showing, again, he's willing to fight the fight. He's willing to go to battle. But Jesus is trying to say, that's not why I came. That's not why I'm here. My saving is different. It's not that way. Let's take a look at verse 38 here. Jesus answered, because again, he kind of puts it in, his, puts Peter in his place, right? Lord, I, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly. Again, saying, I have authority. I am telling you as someone who has authority in the matter, meaning I already know what happens. Not, I can, I'm, I'm guessing because of the situation, I know your heart and I know how you'll act beyond. Nope, I have authority. I've already seen this. I already know what happens. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me thrice, three times. You have denied me three times. See, Jesus being God and having foresight, he knew the difference, right? He knows the difference. He knows that Peter is not just willing to, at this point, pre-resurrection, pre-death on the cross, pre-resurrection. You notice that Peter's a totally different person. He still has the same attributes, right? <laughs> still a very similar person, but it changes. He recognizes and he embraces the teachings and the way of Jesus. Okay, now, acts completely differently after the resurrection. Okay, but Jesus, being God, having that foresight, he knows the difference. He knows that Peter was willing to kill and be killed in battle for Jesus, not willing to just lay his life down for Jesus. There is a difference, and Jesus knew it. Now, Matthew, Luke, and John here on this portion, the, the rooster crowing, Matthew, Luke, and John all focus on the denial of Peter. Whereas Mark actually includes that the rooster would crow twice. So before the rooster crows a second time, really that's just an indication that it's, it's not fully in the morning. When the rooster crows, it's the sun is just starting to come up, right? It's not full morning yet. The sun is not fully up yet. It's still early, early, like it's still dark. It's twilight hour basically before Peter. So the day wouldn't begin, like the actual daylight would not begin before Peter would deny Jesus three times. All right, what can we take away from this? So Jesus surrounded himself by a really odd group of people. He chose them. He loved them completely, as we saw earlier in this chapter. And even coming up to his death, they still had a long, long way to go. And they had a long way to go. One was about to be the cause of his arrest and therefore his death. And another was still confusing that Jesus was a military leader and was confusing the will to die in battle with laying down his life simply because of who Jesus is. Okay. It's clear that Judas was under a lot of spiritual attack. He was under attack and under attack in a way to hurt Jesus. Okay. Think about that. Sometimes we are under spiritual attack to hurt other people. It's not always about us. Sometimes we're just a means to get to somebody else. Be mindful of that. He was under attack to hurt Jesus. Jesus knew this and he still loved Judas. He still ate with Judas. He still washed Judas's feet. I think that says a lot. Jesus knew that Judas was under this amount of spiritual attack to hurt Jesus. But Jesus knew but the glory would come through that. Glory to God would come through that. So while the current mindset of surround yourself with those who lift you up sounds really nice and it seems really comforting, that is not what Jesus did. 
Jesus taught and teaches us to love others and to love one another as he did. And that doesn't mean to put yourself in danger for danger's sake. There's a difference between this is dangerous, God's calling me, and I need to do what, what he's calling and trusting that he's going to protect me. Trust me, I understand that one full well. I still get emails and phone calls. <laughs> yeah, I am aware. Like, I get that. When God calls, we have to trust that he's going to protect. But there's a difference between trusting God and going and doing what he's calling you to do and what he's made it clear that you're to do and just putting yourself in danger's sake just to be in danger. Just to look like, oh man, see, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm, I'm quite the follower. That's totally different. Don't do that. Can, I, can, I, can we be real for a moment? Don't do that. That's, that's just dumb. There's a difference. So don't go into danger just for danger's sake. But it does mean that we need to be wise and slow to kick people out of our circle. Even with a good reason. Even with a good reason. I'm sorry, you're going to have me arrested and killed. That seems like a pretty good reason. Hey, Peter, you're a knucklehead. You can't figure out after all of this time that I'm not here to battle the Romans. Like, wake up, right? You've spent this whole time with me and you still can't figure this out. Jesus showed and did this for a reason, for a purpose. There were so many reasons that we even still probably don't completely understand. Jesus had his reasons. We need to follow that. Also, there's a difference between being willing to do battle for someone, like Jesus, and being willing to lay your life down for them. Yes, again, the, there is a time for peace and there is a time for war. Broadly speaking, we are called to love and to love sacrificially. Take from ourselves to give and to bless others. Father God, thank you so much for, for this word for your word and for your son giving us this amazing example, the best example that we could ever have. God, you in the flesh, showing us what it means to live the way that you want us to live, to live that right life. God, thank you. Thank you for showing us that, yes, while there's a time for peace and time for war, that our call, that your call to us is a call of love and to patience and to kindness and to sacrifice of ourselves to give to those that who are less fortunate, to those in a worse situation, those who aren't in a position to help themselves. God, thank you. I ask that you give us all the courage and the strength necessary to go and to do that, to be your love in the world. It's not always easy. It's not always what we want to do. So God, please give us the courage and give us the strength to do that. In your son's precious name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. I hope you learned from this and grew from this and are enjoying it. Again, the podcast, the audio podcast releases on Tuesdays. So you will see this in your streams everywhere, wherever you subscribe to podcasts and listen to podcasts. You'll see this Tuesday mornings. Have a great one, everyone. God bless you. Bye-bye.